the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. No matter how powerful uh, someone thinks they are, Canute cannot stop the waters and I can't stop the clock. Hugh Hallman is in studio. We were just having a good time catching up when that uh, theme music came on. Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe. He's an attorney in town, an educator, a businessman, community leader. Hugh, welcome back to the show. It feels like it's been a while. Has it? Is it my memory? It yes. has. I was out of the country visiting um, France while uh, France's president was here. Oh. And people are wondering if there was some connection to that. Uh, And in fact, what I thought was interesting about Macron's visit here was in Joe Biden's comments about what the U.S. is doing with respect to Ukraine and edging towards pushing for a deal, how Emmanuel Macron was actually the strong one in the room and said very clearly that France will not support any deal that Ukraine's government does not support mm-hmm. and immediately undermined, it, uh, undermined our own president's wishy-washy efforts at uh, trying to force uh, some solution in Ukraine to get it off his uh, plate. How serious in France? You were in France for a f- uh, about a week or so, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, here or there? Some, yeah. Something like that. How serious is the Ukraine-Russia thing to people in France right now? Or is there another international issue that's just as big or bigger? Well, two things were going on. You have the World Cup, which yeah, is uh, yeah, huge right. yeah. in yeah. Europe, and it was huge in France. And that was fascinating to sort of watch uh, people be pulled into sport that way. And uh, secondly, I saw more Ukraine support bumper stickers mm-hmm. and flags and sidewalk art, that sort of thing, in France continuing and existent than is here. And it reminded me a little bit about how quickly the flags uh, on automobiles disappeared after 9-11 here. Uh, You know, you had everyone in Congress on the steps and it didn't take very long for that uh, sense of connectedness to dissipate. And it was good to see, I suppose, it made me feel a little better about uh, how Europe is approaching it. Now, certainly Ukraine and that conflict uh, is uh, significantly closer to their borders and imposing significantly greater challenges to their society. You've got uh, uh, shortages of fuel, but of course, here is France, the most nuclear-powered country on the planet, Mm -hmm. uh, with a left-leaning society. How is that one? That's the big puzzlement for me was how it is that France was able to overcome the the friction on the left and use nuclear power as their source, which brings me to some breaking news that I thought we ought to throw out there as another possible topic uh, for folks to want to ponder. But uh, fascinating news out of the uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory mm-hmm. uh, in California that maybe folks have finally broken the code to actually generating fusion-based uh, nuclear power. Uh, for the first time, they've generated more power than it took, more energy than it took to create the uh, fusion. And that may be the start of uh, saving us from continuing arguments over greenhouse gases and whether or not we can use fossil fuels uh, because this source has been the, the grail 
for our societies for a very long time, and in in fact, maybe maybe they've made the the step that makes a difference. I just you know, it's California is such a basket case, though. I mean, I, the high hopes I have are always seemingly dashed over there. I don't know. Hopefully, I yeah. Mean, well, but uh, the, oh, maybe other maybe other states can take advantage of it. Well, yes, but it's a, it's the national labs, yes. and and the interesting thing is, will this kind of technology become the uh, the target of the left again, just as they don't like fracking and the use of uh, clean natural gas, which reduces emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions significantly. No, 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 no. We didn't mean clean the air that way. What we meant is you've got to use solar or wind. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, solutions looking for a problem when we have before us many solutions that that address the problems they're raising. Uh, including nuclear energy. That's the reason I raised it. Is going to France was to, among other things, look at those installations and see how they are considered. Not to make a uh, a fetish of the French thing, but I'm also curious if the uh, if the Brittany Griner story made any waves over there. It did a uh, little bit uh, of waves, but I was more fascinated by the response here yeah. and the massive amount of political uh, capital expended. Uh, to bring Brittany Griner back uh, when there are others uh, of significantly greater import to our country and whose position uh, had them there uh, in much more uh, deserving circumstances. And politics is politics. We gave a lot when we gave back, uh, what's his name, Victor Boat? Bout? Yeah, yeah, yeah we, uh, gave, we gave a lot. We gave a lot. And that uh, what I'm more concerned about, and I'm, I'm delighted that Brittany Griner's back in, sure. back in the States, um, but the cost of that when we deal with terrorists and the Russians were behaving like terrorists and we've now negotiated and uh, traded with terrorists, uh, what will prevent them from finding other this is victims? How terrorists win. That's this exactly is how right. they win. That, that we, they will find other victims that they can uh, take hold of and trade them for other valuable assets that they want. Somewhere, Bill, my producer, has a list of lies that we tell ourselves, uh, like never again is a lie. You know what we should add to the list um, that we don't negotiate with terrorists? We tell ourselves that all the time. Truth is, we do all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why terrorism is still with us. But there is also, uh, interestingly, the the market for insurance – you can get an insurance policy. What what does that do for you? It doesn't pay your family. What it does is engage a whole host of resources that are used to get people out of terrorist situations, including paying ransom, um, and that that market exists precisely because and only because nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. And when we do such a headline story about how wonderful the Biden administration is for getting Brittany Griner back, uh, we assure ourselves that terrorists understand the message. One last thing on France. Um, the connection to Iran is not nothing. Uh, the Ayatollah flew into Iran from France in 1979, and I'm wondering if the protests that are taking place in Iran had any impact uh, or, what should I say, sympathy or empathy in France. Uh, absolutely, and I think that's true about all of uh, of the West, to understand that you've got people who are uh, now trying to fight back a very totalitarian regime and doing so with some modest success. That said, we've talked about this concept previously, and I think it applies here. For the folks in the West to look at protesters in Iran or Egypt or any place else as if they 
will more easily succeed than they might uh, than they might i think is based on our bias that somehow people have this longing for liberty and freedom and the challenge i am concerned with is that russia china iran iraq have developed cultures in which those are not values that are that are sacred ironically think about the fact that the code of hammurabi came out of what is now modern Iraq. The actual code stale was found in Iran. It's now in the Louvre. Yes, that's... I happen <laughs> A lot to go, of connections. I here. wanted to go pay my respects, <laughs> okay. honestly, because it is the beginning of civil codes to impose justice, and it is perhaps the, the font of Western sense of justice and that, sure. that entire effort. Sure. And so you have to recognize, one must recognize that... Thousands of years ago, there was a culture that appreciated order and law, but also what law means. It means that everyone needs to be treated equally under the law for it to mean anything. And that's what the Code of Hammurabi was about, was establishing a set of rules that applied to everybody. And that it, you, you find the same things in the Torah and the Old Testament that are the font of what, uh, Western law is about. And to see that in a few thousand years, that taste for a legal system and law and liberty that goes along with it as, as a as almost a precept to have it can disappear. And that, for me, is the watch lesson of what's going on in our society today, that as we are teaching our children different lessons, your monologue touched on this. We now have this desire to teach children about all kinds of things that have nothing to do with what classical education used to be about and understanding the founding principles and the meaning of those things that underlie our entire society. And perverting, no pun intended, uh, based on your monologue, but perverting that process of teaching young people these societies, Russia, China, Iraq, Iran, other places like that, that have developed this collectivist uh, desire to be under the thumb of a strong person, that there is an acknowledgement that the strong man rules is something valuable, frightens me. Because it's not too many steps before we get there here. You can ruin a culture. So that Persian culture gave us a lot of what you just said. It gave us math in a lot of respects. It gave us, through a scholar named Al-Faribi, a lot of philosophy. It even inspired Art Laffer with the Laffer Curve. And I'm trying to remember who that Persian scholar was off the top of my head. I can't get it. And I can't either, but But, all all are celebrated in Kazakhstan because that is the source of much of their early learning as well. You can ruin a culture. You can ruin it. They had a good one. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. We will be right back. We're taking calls, too, if you want. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is my in-studio guest. We're taking your calls as well. 602-508-0960. we got a lot to do, but you are on a roll connecting a lot of dots, Hugh. Let me... Let you take back the marking. Oh, penny. how the yes. Oh, how this mind works. So, uh, the the connecting dots were you had uh, sent me earlier uh, why Iran's protests could t- topple the regime. This was in the Wall Street Journal opinion uh, commentary today, and 
I think it's a more hopeful editorial than it should be because it's talking about how there is real traction, and it is true, real traction. And you asked me about how that was seen in France, the traction of of the uh, uh, folks protesting the regime. And the particular editorial goes into the bases for which uh, Iran, unlike other countries in the area, has had a long history of protest and seeking democratic rule and and uh, some freedom and liberty. And that's what brought me to the Code of Hammurabi, that at one time there was a society in the Babylonian days in the, in the uh, 1700 B.C. or uh, 1600 B.C. in that era, and that culture, as you noted, got lost. It's, it was destroyed. Do I yeah, think that defeated is, is more than lost, but uh, defeated. Yes, yeah. and, and, and do I think that there are still those threads there? Of course, because folks who have a, a liberal tradition in the sense that I'm using it of, of law as, as a standard that provides and is, requires liberty and freedom and, and a recognition of the individual, uh, ultimately uh, can still be there. But is it enough? Is there a large enough uh, uh, base on which that can build uh, a foundation on which you build a society. And I don't see it currently in Iran. I don't see it currently in Iraq. I don't see it in Russia. And we, we've talked that Russia, in fact, has demonstrated that it's never really quite had a renaissance where it made that next step, that, that the Russian culture still has an appreciation for strongman rule and has had that for a thousand years, if not longer, and uh, that uh, Muscovy, as it grew into what became Russia, um, never really created an opportunity. So the czarist system was you know, a feudal system, and you had peasants, effectively slaves, not quite, but pretty close, continuing. I mean, the, the Russian Revolution, the, the Soviet Revolution, the Communist Revolution in the early uh, 1900s, they were still dealing with serfs mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and how to provide freedom and liberty to that group of people. That was part of what pushed the the society. Imagine that. Um, now it's true the U.S. only overcame slavery fifty or sixty years before that, and continued to have and continues and arguably uh, suffer from having had that. But Russia still seems to have a culture in which, as long as I get enough. I'm okay giving up the liberty that I might otherwise enjoy. And the, uh, my Russian professor, uh, so I still try to capture the language given my work in those parts of the region, he's 94 years old. And recently we talked about the fact that the golden year for years for Russia, as we were still doing our work there and traveling together, was about 2002, 2003. That was when they hit the high point of enjoying the liberty and freedom that had been created from the fall of the Soviet Union. So it lasted about 10 or 12 years. And slowly but surely, Vladimir and the society closed it back down. And it's not because there was a strong man. That is appreciated. But as a professor of mine and maybe yours, Harold Rood, Bill Rood, uh, said uh, in, in response to the question, how is it possible that the Soviet Union keeps these people down? And his answer was because they accept it. Yeah, there is a there is a brut- brutalism or a brutality that suffuses that culture. There's that concern about China too, equally so. Uh, yes, yes, and and so here we have Iran talk, you know, in the journal talking about that possibility, and in. Uh, 
periodical after periodical in the last two weeks talking about how Xi Jinping is losing control of China. I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight on that. I wouldn't either. You know, certainly uh, after locking your people up for three years, including tens of millions of people with their apartment door buildings welded shut, uh, leading to just a week ago in uh, in Urumqi, uh 10 people dying, burning to death because they were welded into their apartment buildings. Um, yeah, that's a brutal moment. But will it last? Well, gee, folks are pointing to this could be another Tiananmen Square. Uh-huh. And, and how long did that last? Yeah. Uh, not very long. Yeah. And that's because, back to this point, China has a very collectivist culture that they have accepted the idea of a social credit system where facial recognition and other computer systems are now being used to track your moves and give you credit or demerits for your behavior on a daily basis to the point that if you misbehave in crossing a street or doing some other thing that is socially unacceptable, you can lose your job. And may never get another one as a result. Your children won't get to go to school. All the other kinds of crazy things. And so I'm bringing it back full circle to, as we talk about... It gives me a chill. The China piece is about COVID and and how they've responded to it, which we need to talk about in the connection with the United States. Yes, but it is it is that COVID in China was the extreme example that's now driving some protest. And yet those people here who protested against the mandates from our government right. were ostracized. Yeah, they're being gives... they're crowed about in China for having struck against that governmental regime for crazy covid policies and ostracized here. The chill I have is that there um, a lot of concerns about foreign policy and defense policy uh, with us in China. I'm worried about uh, an attitude here that wants to import Maoism. Um, because you know what, Hugh, if we remember back not too long ago, it seems like a long time ago, 2020, there were people in this country who thought we could get to zero COVID if we would all just go along and get along with the vaccination process or the masking, universal masking, or even admiring places in Europe where they had vaccine cards and vaccine passports. There's way too much admiration for that here. And it's very interesting for me to want now watch people saying, well, look at, look at how, Look at how brutal it is in China. There were people here that were not so far from wanting that. Correct. In fact, we wrote an editorial. And and lost jobs in certain industries for not going along with it. We wrote an editorial about the fact that uh, there were too many people here using a zero-one approach to this entire problem and that the idea that we could stop COVID Mm -hmm. was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, And both of us and my son Lewis were ostracized in some circles for having taken that position. Now, here we are two years later, and you're correct, pointing at how ridiculous China is. And now that we're back to more or less normalcy, although it's it's coming it's an open question yes, again. It is. And, and, and to put a, a, a finer point on what's driving it, it used to be people who were seeking power yeah. and love exercising power, even small governors. Uh, seeking to exercise power and be the source and the font of knowledge. But what's driving it now is that uh, health industrial complex. Listen to your radio, listen to television, and you'll see the ads, hear the ads, for the companies now advertising their COVID boosters. Gee, it's dangerous out there. You've got to get a booster. That is the private market now using the healthcare system to get more money. Let's talk by about scaring the hell out of us. Let's talk about that in a story in the Arizona Republic, localizing it when we come right back. I'm Seth. He's Hugh, and we will be right back.
Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it still remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. That's the Midas Gold Group. Veteran-owned, proud supporters of this radio show right here on 960 AM. They're fighting for your right to the financial privacy and stability that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Sebastian Gorka, and thousands of you already know, Midas Gold Group. You can visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix. Give them a call at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000. Or check them, on, check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Hugh Hallman is our guest um, in studio, as uh, he is uh, every Tuesday. Um, Hugh, there was a Arizona Republic story today. I believe it was on the front page of the Arizona Republic, if I'm not mistaken, speaking a little bit about the COVID downwash that we were just speaking about in the previous segment. And uh, let me see. Let me pull up my copy. Well, son of a gun, I can't pull it up. But it had to do, yes, viruses, patient boarding, staffing shortages, creating gridlock in Arizona ERs, doctors say. Imagine that. Imagine that. That if you create an environment in which, first of all, you scare people that they're going to die, then you pretend that uh, the system is not working well. We did enough data for two years. Your listeners, I think, are familiar with my view of we know who we needed to protect. It's now painfully clear now. China is now recognizing that it's the over-60s. Even the uh, Economist magazine, the liberal rag it's become, is talking about the fact that uh, 80-year-olds have a 100 times greater chance of dying from COVID than 20-year-olds. Shock, shock, shock. And you create an environment in which the um, the medical industrial complex uh, blames everyone else, turns itself into a money machine, and you run some people ragged, and now they decide they don't want to work for you, while they're watching so many people who have been convinced that they should just stay home and collect checks. And the long ignored, and we did this week in and week out, the long ignored fired and leaving of hospital employment from nurses. Because they wouldn't take the shot. Right. They went from heroes in the early days of COVID. And gosh, you couldn't you couldn't find enough nurses to be. I mean, you couldn't find news channels who would, wouldn't find enough nurses to interview. The nurses were the heroes. Everyone was doing was was making heroes of the nurses. And then once the vaccine came out, boy, you couldn't find a nurse to be interviewed. They didn't want to hear from the nurses, which always made me curious as to what it was the nurses knew that we didn't know, those that resisted the vaccination mandates and rather chose to leave their job and their profession than be um, vaccinated against their will and whatever knowledge they possessed at the time. Well, same with the military. Yeah, we saw the, exactly the federal right. government mandate. So you had two groups of people forcibly mandated to take vaccines there were efforts certainly to do it with teachers as well that didn't get quite so much traction because they're not so easily controlled. Um, and you're correct that you ended up creating a, an environment that was hostile to people who had independent minds. 
And now you're upset and and concerned that you can't get people to take jobs. Yep. Imagine that. And, and we've evidently created patient boarding gridlock at our hospitals. Funny enough, that issue did not make it into the Arizona Republic story. Did you notice that? I kept waiting to see that. And it, didn't that sentence never really appeared? Correct. Well, along the with nurses who were fired and the nurses who left these hospital systems. Along with the, the paucity of stories about the failure to take care of people with other kinds of diseases yeah, right. who then ultimately we are suffering from many, many, many more people dying of cancers and uh, heart disease that was untreated because hospitals were so focused on their COVID policies and their 20% kickers for COVID patients. Mm-hmm. And that gets me to, we'll probably pick it up in the main on the other side of this break, but that gets me to this highlighted Washington Post story about a huge, dramatic, much bigger than most people even today understand mental health problems. I don't know, it was a story about 5,000 words. It was one of the larger stories. It's titled The Crisis of Student Mental Health is much vaster than we realize. And I couch that all in the terms along with the hospital uh, the hospital gridlock is, boy, if only there was people around that were warning about these kinds of outcomes. Hugh Hallman and I will talk about this when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman in studio, guest with us, uh, educator, former mayor of Tempe, attorney in town, and other things. We uh, started these uh, interviews with Hugh on a weekly basis back at the outbreak of COVID back in 2020, and we warned about a lot of what was going on. The Washington Post, I was just mentioning in the previous segment, had a big, long essay that came out, uh, just came out. Uh, warning about the crisis in student mental health and saying it's much vaster than we realize. Just to give you a sense, the CDC has found nearly 45 percent of high school students were so persistently sad or hopeless last year they were unable to engage in regular activities. Almost 20 percent considered suicide and 9 percent of the teenagers surveyed by the CDC tried to take their lives during the previous 12 months. A substantially larger percent uh, reported suicide attempts in other venues. Um, Hugh, I, what, what, what can I say? I mean, we're going to be living with this for a long time, probably longer than we're going to live with the consequences of COVID itself. Yeah, the unintended consequences stack up, but they were predictable. People who were thoughtful about this were raising questions about what uh, would result from mask mandates, from school closing mandates, from lockdown mandates, uh, and ultimately, I suspect, we'll have a round of the unintended consequences of vaccine mandates and booster mandates. I can give you my theory on that. We've talked about it before, the latter piece. China is now experiencing this. The lockdowns precluded the spread of the disease in a way that they'll now suffer from. During the height of the COVID uh, problems here, We were trying to remind people that the effort should be to make sure we don't overwhelm our hospitals so people can get the care they need. But that included for their heart attacks and for their other diseases. And the overwhelming push to lock hospitals up just for the use of this uh, disease, what you you like to call it, the uh, disease of of great favor – Privileged, privileged, the privileged disease, very, very privileged disease. Yeah. Uh, was that uh, we we now have one unintended consequence of a huge number of people with all kinds of other undiagnosed diseases that are now suffering ill outcomes. 
you had the lockdowns of schools. That is the large part of what's driving uh, the suicide, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, and sexual abuse of children. Uh, mask mandates interfered with children's learning to a significant degree, especially younger kids under age 12, who need the social cues that they see from mouths and facial expressions as part of what's going on in learning to become acculturated and learn how to be better human beings. Those are just a few of the examples. The, the jabs and the effort to stop the disease meant that we slowed the spread beyond what we needed to, which likely extended the period of time during which we had to suffer through the harshest part of this. And I'm not advocating, was not even at the time advocating that somehow we let everybody get the disease quickly because the goal was to slow the spread so that we don't overwhelm hospitals, but recognize the spread is going to occur. And stop fooling ourselves that you're somehow going to stop it. Well, China, using these lockdowns, prevented the spread, did not use any of the time they had to, in a smart policy way, do things like gear up ICUs, get the kinds of medical equipment and other materiel that they would need to take care of patients when the spread eventually occurred. And now that's what's happening. As you've got these protests, and Xi Jinping is now releasing people back uh, onto their own reconnaissance, the likelihood is that the spread of the disease through China will be pretty quick. It will overwhelm their healthcare system. And it's not that uh, more people will die because they didn't get it sooner. It's that more people will die because the hospital system will be overwhelmed and they will not get the health care they need. That was the theme of what we were talking about two years ago. Got you pushed off the air, got me pushed off the air. Editorials not accepted at the newspaper of record because they were counter-narrative. I got pushed off NPR, among other things. These unintended consequences are things we should learn from. And this audience should make sure that they recognize that questioning minds on both sides are valuable. Mm -hmm. Because it raises questions and issues that need to be thought of carefully. Mm -hmm. And when we refuse to listen about opposing views and take them seriously and think about the consequences, we're certain to be visited by worse outcomes. That's true for conservatives listening to liberals as it is for liberals listening to conservatives. But the current trend, of course, is conservatives should be shut down, should be shut out, should be knocked off Twitter, should be kept from the airwaves. Uh, and your your brilliant, yet again, brilliant monologue talks about the fact that we've got a liberal society seeking to inculcate values into young people. And anyone who objects to that action of sexualizing children must be bigots based in race or gender identity questions. And you point out the fact that that's essentially the guts of an article an article, not an editorial, an article in the New York Times. And what I'm most saddened by about that approach, and it's been going on for the better part of a decade, is that anybody who objects to curriculum content, which would otherwise have been a discussion about what's appropriate for young people, now are ostracized as race or sex, uh, sexual identity bigots because the left has been smart about taking materials 
about sexual identity, trying to deliver it to five-year-olds and using minority characters yeah, we'll make as the vehicle. Yeah. And so if you make them not just one minority, right. but maybe two different right. minorities, right. now you can get them in a lot of different ways here. And so that's the new game. And it reminded me that particular news story and your truly your brilliant uh, analysis of that issue in the monologue today reminded me of a person I hold in great regard, my mother. Because in 1998-99, I was on the Tempe City Council, one of the biggest challenges we had in Tempe was Moore Park. B.B. Moore was the governor of the state of Arizona, Tempe resident and physician in the 30s. Moore Park became the central core place where gay men could meet up and ultimately have sex in that park. The tales that one would now try to present to five-year-olds, apparently, in some new books... My mother was trying to clean up the neighborhood parks in North Tempe, where Moore Park is. A libertarian who led the way in de, um, uh, we had race wars in Tempe in the in the forties and fifties, and my mother and her roommates, an African American and a Hispanic woman, um, eliminated racial barriers in housing and in the operation of Tempe's swimming pool at the time. That's my mother. And she was being accused of being homophobic because she wanted to stop people from having sex in Moore Park. There you go. And she was accused of clearly being homophobic because it was uh, gay men. And her answer to that was very clear. I object to anybody having sex in these parks. I don't care whether it's gay or straight. Yeah. That is not the appropriate place to be doing those behaviors in our parks. Knock it off. That's what we need to do as conservatives now. I'm Seth Heath Hugh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Yeah, that, that was a great story you told, Hugh, about your mother um, and the work she was doing. But that is the trick now. This this is where the word – it's a word that's around everywhere now, and a lot of people haven't taken the time to understand what it fully means, intersectionality. So what the what the what the left with this with this with this child porn basically has done is uh, they have you know put stories together about adult child sex and then what they do is they make one of the characters if not both of them a racial or some other kind of sexual minority so that anyone who objects as I said to the first part is scandalized and blamed for objecting to the last part you know that's 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 the game they play yes that that you can't object to one portion of it and that is uh, adult child sexual ever, activity yeah, right. uh, or or teaching 5 year olds about uh, sexual orientation right. uh there is a reason that we want children to be children. But what I'm more concerned about this process is back to the bigger arc of today's discussion, which is culture. And that the United States has benefited from a culture that got created here with the intersectionality of all kinds of cultures from around the world. It is a very rich uh, tapestry we have here, a great fabric with lots of different uh, threads in it. But the theme of all of it was driven by the fact that the people who were coming here were seeking something that they weren't getting at home. And what they were seeking was the opportunity to be themselves, to achieve what they wanted to achieve, and to have some liberty that they would not otherwise have, have benefited from. That was ultimately also 
a chunk of the Native American communities that were here, and it still exists, again, my favorite uh, other country, Kazakhstan, that is people out in that environment had to be self-reliant. They had to live on their wits, and they were responsible, ultimately, to the point of potentially dying if they did not take care of themselves appropriately. Their families, their tribe, their group, their clan. And we are easily losing that, that if you do not decide that it's important to teach children about the principles and the values that gave rise to this country and made it truly great, the greatest in human history, it will be lost. And if you think it's more appropriate to be teaching children aged 5 through 12 about sexual orientation and refuse to teach them about the values that our founders grabbed hold of and articulated first in the Declaration of Independence, but ultimately in the Constitution itself, we will lose this. And we must be vigilant and look for people like Seth Liebson who articulate these values Carefully and well, understanding we can respect dissent and argument, and maybe we need to because it's what we thrive on, but we must understand we've got to teach these values to our children or we shall lose this society. Thank you, Hugh Holman. Teach your children well. It's still good advice. I am Seth. He is Hugh. Don't go away. Bethany Mandel on all of this when we come right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.